Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode of the Bearstalk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. Your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? Fourth and final stop through the NFC East, and we'll be wrapping things up with America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, and, uh, you know, the defending NFC East champs. Um, kind of a surprise, 12-5. and five. I mean, they, they had a disaster of a 2020 season with Dak Prescott going down and uh, the, the first year of the Mike McCarthy era not going so great, but they they bounced back. They uh, they they took the chance and and gave Dak his money, not knowing whether or not that was going to work out, and uh, were able to uh, string together some impressive uh, wins last year. But um, had a very unceremonious uh, ending uh, to the season with uh, with a mess of a final play in the wild card game against the uh, 49ers. Um did not have the best offseason as far as additions and subtractions. Uh, and then, uh, you know, as you hear from our, from our guest, RJ Ochoa, not very thrilled with the draft. So it's kind of hard to gauge where the Cowboys are. But it's, you know, as we've been talking about this whole time with the NFC East, it's a division where there's a new champ every year since 2004. Because the Eagles were the last team to repeat, winning in 03 and 04. And ever since then, it's been somebody new every year for almost the last, for almost 20 years now. So, uh, as even though the, the Cowboys on paper, probably still the best team in the division, history says that doesn't matter. You know, maybe it's the Eagles and the moves that they made. Maybe the, the trade for A.J. Brown put them over the top and they'll be the team to beat uh, in the NFC. And, uh, worst to first isn't unheard of in this division either, so you can't quite cancel out the, you know, the first year magic of of Brian uh, Dable working in uh, working in New York and helping them uh, put something uh, together. And also, like I said, the Cowboys would probably be in the best position to win the division as far as you know who they ha- who they still have on the team and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But like I said, history is not on their side as far as repeating uh, as division champs and the off season that they have would also uh, lead you to believe that uh, better days are not ahead uh, as far as that goes. And, and not to mention the whole thing about, uh, you know, could Sean Payton be the next head coach of the Cowboys? And, you know, is Mike McCarthy on a short leash because a uh, historically better coach uh, lies in the weeds? Um, so we'll have to wait and see how it all uh, unfolds. But here to help us talk about it, 
Um, our new friend from uh, SB Nation's blogging the boys, uh, RJ Ochoa, uh, will will help us uh, will help us do that. So um, anyway, that's all I got. So let's go ahead and dive right in. This is the Dallas Cowboys preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Our fourth and final stop through the NFC East takes us to Texas and um, the Dallas Cowboys, the defending NFC East champion, uh, twelve and five last year. Uh, you know, a, 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 right, a, a hell of a bounce back uh, season after the twenty twenty season that they had. And here to help us preview the twenty twenty two Cowboys from SB Nation's blog and the boys, we got R.J. Ochoa. R.J., welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you having me. Uh, it's uh, an interesting time to follow the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, it doesn't feel as glowing as you made it sound, but uh, that's the magic <laughs> of football. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about Dallas being the, the uh, about America's team is that they always seem to be center stage for something. So whether you're a Cowboys fan or not, you're pretty much always keeping up with the Cowboys. Now, whether that's because of history and they've been America's team since the seventies or because Jerry Jones just won't let us live and breathe without the Dallas Cowboys. But one way or another, we're all keeping track of what's going on down there. That's, um, you know, what we count on to keep our lights on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's fun kind of living at the center of the NFL universe and, um, you know, what, whatever happens, it, it may be good or bad, but I can promise it will always be entertaining. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing journey that Jerry Jones has been on for all the hatred that he got when he bought the team, uh, you know, firing uh, Tom Landry and, and you know and all that kind of stuff, to being one of the more important owners that we have in the league uh, right now. I know it wasn't it wasn't an overnight thing, but it it pretty much has been, you know, shortly after he bought the Cowboys and and the the original stink of of all that he did in the beginning uh, wore off. He's probably been one of the more important owners that we have uh, in this league right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the Super Bowl was just in Los Angeles at the stadium that arguably wouldn't exist if not for his vision to, to get the NFL back on the West Coast. Awesome. So so let's talk about these. Uh, actually, you know what? I, f- I almost forgot. Uh, with all of our new guests that we have on the show, we like to ask the same three questions. And the questions are, uh, where are you from originally? Where are you now? and your favorite moment as a fan of the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, wow. Um, so from the Rio Grande Valley, so South Texas, uh, deep South Texas, and um, down near the, the border of Mexico, and that's you know where my family and I live now. Mm-hmm. Came back home a few years ago, so uh, it's nice to be surrounded by family. Um, favorite moment? Um, you know, um, my dad and I used to go to Cowboys road games. We would, we would go to one a year. The first one we actually went to was uh, at Soldier Field in 2014 nice. when, when the Cowboys played there on Thursday night. Um, I believe that was Brandon Marshall's last game as a Bear. But oh, um, Yeah, that did not go our night. That was not our night. Right. Um, so, you know, we would go to, you know, obviously uh, the pandemic kind of changed our plans there. But we, um, we went to Pittsburgh. In 2016, I don't know if you recall, Dallas had a really thrilling victory was there. Was that Zeke, Zeke Elliott's had, last second touchdown? Yeah, win? he had a, a walk, basically what was a, a walk-off win, but it was just a crazy fourth quarter. Uh, it was so much fun, and I, I'm a big NFL history buff. I, I do kind of have a soft spot for the Bears, but so the Steelers are this big team, and the Cowboys don't play them often. And uh, The seats we had um, that we'd gotten, we'd, we'd bought them from a season ticket holder, 
and they were next to Franco Harris's season nice. tickets. And so we sat next to him the whole game, you know, just kind of mildly talked this and that. It was just it's one of the cooler memories of my lifetime. Nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's pretty great. Um, my my favorite memory for the Bears is, uh, believe it or not, is one that I I have and I don't all at the same time. Um, I was six years old in 1984, and I was the, I was in Chicago in Soldier Field the day that Walter Payton broke Jim Brown's rushing record. Yeah, and, I mean that's that's hard to beat too. That's right? A very, yeah. very good one. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, I remember that day vividly, like it was yesterday. So many things about that day. You want to know what I don't remember? Walter Payton breaking Walter. the record. No <laughs> recollection awesome. of that at all. Like, I remember everything else. I remember the rain. My dad and I, we wore ponchos. He taught me how to eat a hot dog without getting it wet. You know, that kind of thing. I remember all these little things, but I don't remember when he, you know, it was like second play of the second half, uh, you know, a sweep out to the left. He breaks the record. They stop the game. The, the the Bears charge the field. There's cameras and all kind of like a celebration. Don't remember any of that. Not a thing. But wow. probably didn't help that I was six years old. So everyone in the stadium is standing up. So all I'm looking at is backs and butts. That's probably why I don't remember it. But uh, I remember everything else. So you know, I, it was the you know it was the Saints and all that kind of stuff. But um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm proud of that. So. All right, so let's talk about your guys uh, here. You know, last year, they're, they're looking to bounce back. Uh, Dak recovering from the – that was the, the ankle injury, 2020, right? Correct. Okay, so he's coming back off the uh, ankle injury. Uh, he gets that huge extension despite the injury. Um, so Jerry Jones showing a lot of faith uh, in his young quarterback there. You, you uh, start on Thursday night on the road against the defending world champions – and not for nothing, but that was probably one of the better games that we had uh, last year, you know, and um, just came up just short uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But it didn't did kind of send a message that maybe we need to take the Cowboys seriously this year. Yeah, you know, um, there was a lot of you know, there, were, there were a lot of positive vibes, I'd say, um, after that. That was a really it was short lived, but but a really positive weekend. Uh, just because it, it did kind of, you know, there were so many questions about Dak and, and could he do it and whatnot. And um, a small detail, right, you know, that the few days before that, Zach Martin was placed on the COVID list. And so um, Dallas suddenly had to deal without him. And, and so you're already worried about Dak and you're suddenly missing arguably the best offensive lineman on the team. Um, so it was, it was a long, you know, kind of um, challenge for them that they, you know, basically met, which was impressive. Um, I say short-lived because it was right after that that it was announced that Michael Gallup had a calf strain and was going to be out for a few weeks, um, that Demarcus Lawrence suffered a foot injury in practice, and so he was out for, for a little while, and then that Randy Gregory himself was placed on the COVID list. And so the, the Dallas, you know, the Cowboys were on the road against the Chargers the next week. And so, you know, obviously a team that a lot of people even believed in at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really kind of terrifying to head to the Chargers. And, you know, you hear every year all, all the, you know, what happens when you start off 0-2 and, and whatnot. Um, but that really kind of forced the Cowboys to play a little bit differently. Um, and it forced the issue with Micah Parsons. That was the first time we saw Micah as kind of an edge rusher and, and learned that that is in his wheelhouse. So it was a really interesting um, two-week stretch, to say the least. Yeah, so you go out to, to L.A. and you take on the Chargers. You get the win. Uh, then you come home for Monday Night Football and, and trounce the Eagles, 41-21. You beat up on the Panthers the week after that. You beat up on the Giants 
I mean, and it's not so much that you're winning these games, but the margin of victory at the same time is also what's impressive. 41-21 over the Eagles. You put up 36 against the Panthers, 44-20 over the Giants. And then the uh, another outstanding game against the Patriots, the, and, uh, you know, the overtime game there, 35-29, to 29, uh, the Cowboys come out on top. And that was a little bit of a coming-out party for Mac Jones, but also the Cowboys – reasserting themselves as, you know, like, yeah, it's not a not a fluke here. This is five wins in a row now with that win over the Patriots. Yeah, that was certainly probably the highlight of the season or maybe, you know, one of it at the very least. Um, it's, you know, you're talking that sweet spot October, November. You really kind of come away with, with sort of season-defining wins then. Um, like you said, I mean, they, they built up a lot of momentum, but at the time it was, okay, fine, you know, you beat the Chargers, you know, Brandon Staley's second game, whatever. And then you beat a bunch of, you know, tomato cans. You beat the Eagles and the Panthers. And, like, there was, you know, nothing really – even that Giants win, um, Daniel Jones did not play the second half of that game. It was uh, it was your boy, Mike Glennon. Um, and Our so boy, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> um, so there, there was a little bit of, like – there was a, a sense of not necessarily believing in its authenticity. And, and at the time, the Cowboys had never defeated the Patriots in the Bill Belichick era. They they still never defeated Tom Brady, even even with Tampa, obviously. Right. Um. And and so they had never gone to obviously you know New England and won there. And so it was it was this big like exorcism of something you know. And, and again, not that they were the Patriots of old, but still it had never happened. And so to win it that way in overtime, walk off like that, it was it was so just a, a great you know kind of moment of of joy and victory. Um, they quickly was deflated, uh, no pun intended, by Dak Prescott's own calf injury. It was on that last game-winning touchdown pass to CeeDee Lamb that, that he hurt his calf, and that knocked him out two weeks later uh, on Sunday Night Football against the Vikings. Yeah. So you have the bye week after the win over the Patriots, and then you have the Sunday night um, game against the Vikings. You come away with the win there. And then was this a game without Dak? The, uh, the, the, the winning streak gets snapped against the Broncos at home. 30 to 16 and and this is this was not a good loss because the Broncos were not a good team uh last year was 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 Dak missing for this one is that why uh this happened or was it just one of those everything that could go wrong did go wrong kind of games No it was definitely the latter and there was a lot of conversation because Dallas had won in Minnesota with Cooper Rush and without Dak uh, because of the perception of the Broncos at the time, there were a lot of people who said, well, look, it's the Broncos, it's an AFC team, like, just give Dak one more week, you know, make be doubly sure he's he's right, he's good to go, whatever. Um, and it, it was a really big week of energy. Um, I mean, obviously, you mentioned, you know, your age and the year you were born. I don't know if you recall the centennial helmets that the Cowboys wore in the 70s. With yeah, the, the red, red stripes. white, and blue stripes. Yeah. Yeah. So they broke those out, actually, um, against the Broncos. So it was all this, like, these good vibes, and then they just got trounced. And, so, and the fact that it was Dak's return really did kind of cast this negative shadow um, that I would argue maybe never left. Their, their offense never really looked the same. Uh, from that point on, even through the playoff loss to San Francisco. Right. Um, rebound with a win over the Falcons, then a uh, 19-9 loss in Kansas City. No big surprise there. Nobody really wins in Arrowhead. Uh, Thanksgiving win over the Raiders. Took overtime to pull that one off. Because... They lost to the Raiders. Oh, that's right. They You're absolutely right. right. They, they did. That one, they came up short. I remember that now. I didn't fix that in my notes. My bad. But... Um, Went over the Saints, went over the Commanders. So you go on another five, four-game winning streak after the Raiders lost four games 
finishing it off with a 56 to 14 win over uh Washington and then you 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 have that game against the Cardinals and then another beating on the uh, Eagles to wrap up the uh regular season but that Cardinals game that was an interesting one cuz you didn't you you lost somebody for the season at in that game right or one of the receivers it was Michael Gallup right uh, right right before the half um he on, on a touchdown catch he, yeah. he tore his ACL while catching a touchdown uh, that was his last play. And, and that was, I mean, you mentioned the, the little win streak they picked back up on after. And, and, you know, that was just such a really rough and clunky stretch. Um, even going back to Kansas City, Amari Cooper missed that game um, due to showing up on the COVID list. And, um, I mean, it, it was, you know, I mean, you know, the, the politics involved. It, it comes out he's he's not vaccinated. So, like, there's all this, like, negative energy around that. And that took him out of the Raiders game because that was on Thanksgiving and because of the time involved and the, the time you had, you had to miss at the time. Um, so there was this just kind of, you know, clunk um, hovering around the Cowboys and CD lamb missed the chiefs game with, with an injury himself. Um, so it was really tough. Um, and, and then, you know, to lose the Raiders on Thanksgiving just exacerbated the issue. Um, so they won in new Orleans. And, and if you'll recall, Mike McCarthy missed that game in new Orleans himself uh, on the COVID list. And so Dan Quinn, um, led the charge then, and that was a big deal. And obviously people don't believe in Mike McCarthy, and so that kind of fanned those flames. And, yeah, then they ripped off some division wins. Um, they won at Washington. That was At that point in time, the, the defense was really kind of carrying everything. And the Cardinals on their own were kind of falling apart and leaking oil and taking yeah. things on. I, I, th- I think they had just lost to the Colts, I believe, um, right after Christmas, uh, right before that game. And, I mean, if you look, I, I think the Cardinals lost four of their final five games on the season, including the playoff loss of the Rams. Their, their one win in that stretch was against the Cowboys. Um, and so, you know, it was a year ago, actually, um, Kyler Murray, uh, who's from Texas, was interviewed and asked if he grew up a Cowboys fan. And um, he, he used some language I won't, but he said that they were always terrible when he was growing up. And so there was this, like, little, you know, <laughs> rift um, and um, and so there was a lot of there were a lot of people who wanted to kind of stick it to him and they didn't and they lost. And so it was a really rocky end to the season. And then, you know, Dallas had because of their massively clinched the NFC East. And there was there were all these arguments and debates as to whether or not they should play their starters in week 18 against the Eagles. And, and they did. And they, they accomplished some things and technically achieved some records in, in franchise history um, you know, as far as production and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they really patted themselves on the back for a week before San Francisco turned out the lights. Right. I mean, Arizona was such a wacky game, though, with, you know, Gallup going down with a, an ACL injury, catching a touchdown pass. And then I think everybody remembers the weird way that the Cardinals converted that fourth down on the uh, the fake punt or muff punt or whatever. It was. I don't remember how that play started. I think they did it on purpose. But basically, the guy has a helmet catch 2.0 where he's holding the ball against the, the defender's head this time uh, instead of his own to make that catch on fourth down. And not only was it, you know, a crazy catch, but it was also a, a penalty. So tack on some yardage uh, on top of that uh, kind of thing. I mean, it was things like that that kept happening in this game. And the next thing you know, the Cowboys lose to a team that under Cliff Kingsbury specializes in falling to pieces in the last portion of the season. Yeah, and not only that, afterwards, uh, very vocally and publicly complained about officiating. They came out and 
Uh, said some version of, you know, we weren't just playing the Cardinals today. And, and that, that became a theme. Um, they, after their season ended against the 49ers, blamed officiating. You know, I mean, if you want to talk about ends to a game, that was a very, you know, infamous ending, the right. final moments of the playoff loss. Um, and they, they had issues with the referee spotting the ball, which is part of the rules. Um, but that was, you know, and that's, that's still what a lot of people are kind of holding on to right now is they did not handle losing very well, which is troubling, uh, with regards to the future. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get it out of the way and, uh, we'll move on to the off season after this, but, um, that game against the, uh, you know, the 49ers, it was, um, the one wild card game that wasn't a, or that, that particular weekend, that one game that weekend that wasn't an absolute snooze fest or, a or a joke. The other wild card games was like, did we even need this round? Kind of thing. It was like all the we knew these teams were all advancing, like the two versus seven matchups and mm-hmm. all that kind of was like they were all a mess. And then even the one, uh, the three for six on the end. Oh, you were guys were the the three for six on the A AFC side. They were all, you know, uh, dominant and you know victories and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you have uh, this matchup with the Forty ers and 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 the Cowboys. So you know you have the nostalgia of the old rivalry and uh, and all that kind of stuff and it's uh it's a it's a back and forth football game and then at the end i mean how are you guys looking at it i mean are are you looking at it like you know you always give the ball to the official you, you know the the referee screwed us how are you how like how are the fans looking at cuz you already said how the how the team looked at it but how are the fans looking at that or do you know do you have a team full of idiots who screwed that up or <laughs> is it on McCarthy and his time management for you know calling a play in the middle of the field with 14 seconds to go and and all that kind of stuff where are you guys at with that well I would I would just add two things first in that you know it was Cowboys Niners which is a huge rivalry right. and it was on CBS it was on CBS so it was very you know reminiscent of you know Vern Lundquist I mean oh, yeah. it, it had all the all the flavors of Madden and Summerall um man. Right, exactly. Um, and so, I mean, and on top of that, you know, in the lead up to that game, um, you mentioned how the other games kind of were terrible. Uh, the Fox broadcast, Troy Aikman said, you know, that he was like, yeah, I wish we had that game. That was kind of his parting word from Tampa after the Buccaneers crushed the Eagles. Right. Um, and so it, it had all sorts of hype. And I, you know, there are definitely some Cowboys fans who feel like the officials had it out for them. The officials were wrong. Like there are definitely, you know, people who, who, you know, the, the team is never wrong for um, sure. that feel that way. But um, I do think most people who, who are somewhat objective, you know, believe that the Cowboys maybe miscalculated that. They, they had, you know, if, if you're if you have like multiple explanations for something, you're typically kind of wrong. And the Cowboys had multiple explanations <laughs> that that they practiced that, that it, it, it didn't take that long in practice. I mean, all sorts of things. At the end of the day. Um, I mean, the official has to spot the ball. That's a rule. I mean, that's that's an undeniable rule. And, you know, we've obviously talked this subject to death, but mm-hmm. you can think of m- many times that, you know, Larry Fitzgerald was the first example I thought of, you know, running to the line of scrimmage, grabbing the ball, and, and just carrying it to the official right away. Um, or, or after, if Larry was involved in the play, instead of taking the ball to the center, handing it to the official because he understood the proper sequence of events. And so um, it, it was, you know, it's a moment that honestly shouldn't be magnified. I mean, they, they lost way before that. Um, and so, you know, to make it about that makes it seem like they were really in the game. They weren't. I mean, they made it close at the end and fine. Um, but with regards to that moment, I think they were totally in the wrong. Right. Yeah, that was um, – and, and, and as far as, like, being a fan, 
seeing something like that, seeing your team's season end, like that's something that's just going to stick with you the entire off season. Like, and it's one of those where you just want the off season to end so you can move on to the next season just to help wipe the memory of, of that being the last thing you saw your team do. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. And, and Cowboys fans have had, you know, some really horrible moments to kind of, <laughs> you know, stick with for, for a long time. Um, in recent years, um, I don't have to tell you about, you know, despair at the hands of the Green Bay Packers, but, yeah. um, I mean, Des caught it, you know, Jared Cook on third and 20. It's just, you know, it's amazing that, that Aaron Rodgers can, can kind of wield these moments that, that we have to sit and deal with for, for nine months on end. It's pretty painful. Yeah. I mean, trust me. Yeah. Um, you're talking to the guy that roots for the team that suffered the double doink. Um, <laughs> the 2018 into the 2019 offseason was hell on earth, man. You know, because it was it was a, a season that ended prematurely in every Bear fan's opinion. Um, and it was an offseason with high anticipation because of how this team showed up and how it, you know, overperformed, if you will, in, in 2018. Now it's year number two. Uh, you know, we signed some guys on the cheap because Chicago had established this culture that people wanted to be a part of. We couldn't wait for this season to start. This is going to be our year. And then week one against the Packers to kick off the 100th season of the NFL, and we lose 10-3. to Mitch loses his mojo and never gets it back. And it just, you know, it, it just like, yeah. So we waited six months for that, or seven months actually, eight months, whatever it was. From January to from January to September, when they kicked off, it was almost like eight months to the day. We've been waiting eight months for this, and this is what you give us. Fantastic! That's just great. Eight months we had to swallow, you know, the the gook that was the the double doink, and this is <laughs> this is how you repay us for our you know having to suffer through that kind of thing. So I know all about it. Trust me. So that's tough. Yeah. So we move on to the off season. Um, putting the uh, 2021 season in the rear view. And it just seems like the, the, the Cowboys had an offseason where they just could not help themselves as far as keeping themselves in the spotlight. You have the, the Amari Cooper trade where you basically gave him away. Uh, and then the obviously the Randy Gregory mess where he agrees to terms and then, oh, wait, no, he doesn't. Now he's a Denver Bronco thing. Yeah, I mean, that was really awkward. Um you know, there was a, a little 10-minute window where life was good um, after Randy Gregory had agreed to terms. And there were, you know, a lot of Cowboys fans kind of kind of taking victory laps saying, see, you guys were, were panicking, you know, this team, you know, about them doing nothing. And, you know, there, there we go. They got Randy Gregory back. And, and that, you know, the way that unfolded didn't help um, the, the impression of this team in this offseason. Um, you know, they've lost some some top contributors. I mean, you mentioned Amari Cooper and Randy Gregory. They've also lost Connor Williams, their starting left guard. Yeah. Granted, they let him walk in free agency. Um, they cut Lyle Collins, uh, their starting right tackle, who's now with the reigning AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. And so um, it, it's I'm, – I'm not somebody who believes in conspiracy theories. Or, you know, a lot of Cowboys fans that are upset, you know, like to say things like, uh, the, you know, the Joneses care more about making money than they do about on-field success, things like that. I've never, ever bought into those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But I will say th this offseason, it has been more difficult to diffuse those things than it has been in years past. Right. So, I mean, the free agency side, uh, as far as, like, adding guys and obviously with the guys that you cut, is this – is anybody, you know, blaming Dak and his $40 million contract uh, for this? Or was it just not a good salary cap? 
year? Because when I look at the free agent additions, I'm only seeing guys like Dante Fowler, uh, you know, signing from Atlanta, James Washington, wide receiver coming in from Pittsburgh. Everybody else on the list that I have here is somebody that was re-signed, somebody that the Cowboys held on to. And then you look at the losses, Randy Gregory, Cedric Wilson, Leo Collins, Connor Williams, Greg Zerline, all on other teams. There's a lot of household names on that, you know, outgoing list and not so much on the incoming. You um you left off one external free agent, uh, actually a former Bear, Ryan Null. Yes. The great Ryan Null. Yeah, he's on the uh, list here. So, I just didn't think that was important. That's all. No, I mean, it's but that's the joke. I mean, it's yeah, just yeah. that it's um, – and, and I, I do think, you know, the Joneses will, will do their radio hits and things like that. And I think they, they try to carry the water that, yeah, they're strapped by Dak's exorbitant price tag and whatnot. Um, but I, I think that football fans are, are so much smarter these days. And I, I don't think – I don't think most people are falling for that. I think people recognize, A, even if that were true, the Cowboys dragged their feet when it came to Dak Prescott. If they yeah. were you know, forward-thinking enough, again, I don't believe that to be a problem, but if it were, if they were forward-thinking enough, it wouldn't be a problem. What's more is it's not a problem. They have, I mean, you, it's, it's, you know, people say the salary cap is fake, whatever. It's, it's not fake, it's real, but it can be manipulated, and they refuse to get creative in the way Obviously, the Rams get a lot of credit for that, but yeah. I think the Saints are really creative. I mean, you know, I think the Bears were creative once upon a time. I mean, I think the Bears did something that, you know, with regards to the Cowboys that they didn't do. You know, I I really admired how early on in Mitchell's career, the Bears traded for, you know, Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack I, yeah. I also think, you know, pe- people make it out, and I don't know, I mean, I don't mean to open this can of arms, but people make it out like, Allen Robinson was so trapped by the Bears. Allen Robinson chose the Bears in free agency. Like, yes, he wasn't he trapped, you know, whatever. Uh, but that's, a, like, you know, the Cowboys never took advantage of Dak Prescott's rookie contract window the way the Bears did with Trubisky, the Chiefs did with Mahomes when they signed Sammy Watkins at the time, the way the Rams obviously did with Jared Goff, the way the Eagles did with Carson Wentz, the way, you know, we're seeing the Bengals now with Joe Burrow. Even the, the Jaguars get that, you know, philosophy with Trevor Lawrence. The Dallas Cowboys didn't, and and they did have to carry Tony Romo's salary, you know, for one year because they designated him a post-June first cut. But still, I mean, they they have never done that necessary part of all this, and so I don't think anybody buys that. Oh, it's you're you know you're stuck with this or whatever. They just prefer the guys they have, and they feel like they don't have to do a lot of work to be competitive because. The division so bad. I mean, and they were benefited this year by the entire conference weakening. I mean, yeah. you could argue that their their standing in the overall conference improved this offseason based on nothing that they did. I mean, um, <laughs> that's that's frustrating because you'd like to see them take advantage of it the way other teams do. Right. Um, but um, but I, I mean, there are some people like there's always somebody who buys every story. There's some people who believe it, but I think most people are fed up with them and the way they operate. Sure. Sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's always interesting. Um, if you follow the NFL, you follow the Cowboys because Jerry Jones, whether, you know, whether he wants to or not, has, has always had the Cowboys kind of center stage. And, uh, so, you, you know, you, you, you keep, uh, so it's, it's, if anything happens with the Cowboys, it's always the first thing that comes up on total access and on the NFL network and sports center always has to mention it. And, and, uh, and things like that, so you're always kind of aware of what's going on uh, with the Cowboys, even if you're not. If you're if you're a football fan, you're following the Dallas Cowboys along with whoever it is you're really cheering for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, especially from Thanksgiving on, are such a big part of the national conversation. 
Um, it, in, in many ways, it kind of feels like every game they play is nationally televised. That's the amount of attention that's on them. Right. So, <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it, it's, it was an interesting, you know, off season. What, what was the, the catalyst for, you know, a, dealing with Amari Cooper? Was it, was it a contract thing? Was it unhappy in Dallas thing? What, what, what led to the trade to Cleveland? Well, the, the contract has, I mean, they've said that that was part of it, but that, that take has really just aged incredibly poorly given the, you know, receiver market. And I mean, you look at Terry McLaurin got a new deal yesterday. I mean, Amari Cooper is suddenly a, an incredible bargain, you know, making $22 million a year. Um, yeah. That's, that's just kind of, or actually $20 million a year. That's the, you know, that's just the, how quickly things happen. And that's something that they have always kind of notoriously failed to identify. Um, but, you know, some people would argue that it was not being vaccinated and not being available to his team. Um, and, and whether that, you know, was a catalyst in, in a political way or anything um, is, is unknown. But, I mean, it was extremely obvious near the end of the season that, that they had no intention of Amari Cooper being on their team in, in 2022. They, they just were completely checked out. And to be frank about it, I mean, if you're fair to them, you know, when they signed Amari to, to his the deal he's currently on, it was the, the early days of 2020, you know, as everyone was dealing with uh, the onset of the pandemic initially. And it was just a few months later that C.D. Lamb fell to them in the draft. You know, if, if they knew that, that they were going to draft C.D. Lamb that year, there's no way they signed Amari. And so they suddenly had an abundance of riches um, and they designed Amari's deal to be able to escape it in two years, which is what they did. I mean, and they... We, we said, we've talked a lot on our side, you know, for years about how they might have been looking at 2022 as an opportunity to, to re-sign Michael Gallup and kind of pair him with CeeDee Lamb. And that's what they chose to do for one reason or another. But it, it, the writing has been on the wall for two years. All right. So we move on to the, uh, to the draft. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Cowboys had the 24th overall pick, and they go with offensive tackle Tyler Smith out of uh, – Tulsa, how did that one uh, did that one go down easy, or you know, did we know it was going to be an offensive tackle, or uh, you know, what was what did you what a what did you want them to do? What did you think they were going to do, and and how did you feel about what they did? You know, a lot of people really wanted a guard, um, and everyone had their eyes set on Zion Johnson or Kenyon Green, but but they were obviously gone once Dallas was on the clock, and you know, the day before the draft, they, they were very you know purposeful in, in leaking that they had interest there, so nobody was surprised. I think consensus draft analysts suggest that, that they may have reached, but they got their guy, and, you know, I think if anyone deserves the benefit of the doubt when it comes to evaluating offensive linemen, it's probably the Cowboys, I mean, sure. based on their success over the last yeah. decade. Um, you know, he's got penalty issues in, in college, but they, they really believe in him. He's extremely young. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to believe in. It just, you know, it, it wasn't the, the kind of, it didn't have the flash appeal that Micah Parsons did a year ago or C.D. Lane the year before that. Right. So second round, Sam Williams, linebacker out of Ole Miss. Third round, Jalen Tolbert, wide receiver out of um, that football factory, South Alabama. Uh, how are we feeling about day two picks? You know, um, the Sam Williams thing uh, is only frustrating in that if, you know, if the contract language had been approved by Randy Gregory, that pick never happens. Right. Um, and so, and not that I'm not a fan of Sam Williams, but, it, you know, they – they can sit here and tell you all they want that they didn't draft for need, but they absolutely did. And so it would have been nice to have, have addressed some of those needs instead of saying, well, we ended up signing Dante Fowler. We're good at defensive end. 
Um, and Jalen Tolbert, he's probably the pick that most people are, or the, or the people are the most excited about rather. Really? Um, he, well, yeah, I mean, he's a receiver and that's part of it. It's a little easier to kind of see their production than, you know, a guard in the NFL or anything like that. Um, and, and I think honestly, you know, because he, he is from a small school, you know, when we, we had a draft show, obviously throughout the, the weekend, we, we were, you know, we thought there's no way the Cowboys have notoriously shied away from schools like that. They're power five elitists. Um, and so it was nice to see them, you know, be open to that idea. And, and I'm hopeful that that is indicative of, of being open towards players from smaller schools in the future. Yeah, because, you know, power five elitists, your first three picks, you only got one power five guy uh, in there. You know, Tulsa is right. not a power five uh, school in South Alabama. Is that division two? Uh, you know, it's um, it's definitely small. And yeah, that's the thing. And, sure. Jalen Tolbert, Tolbert's story is – is unique. He, he had offers from power five schools, uh, but he wanted to play baseball in college. And, and, you know, South Alabama was one of the only places that, that would allow him to do that. And um, he's a Yankees fan. So he fits right in with the Cowboys culture. There you go. Um, but we get back to our power five guys in the fourth round, Jake Ferguson, the tight end out of Wisconsin. Uh, then we go back to the small schools, North Dakota, another offensive tackle. Well, let's go, Matt. Well, let's go. Uh, Fresno state uh, corner, Darren Bland or Duran. Uh, Bland in the fifth round, uh, Damone Clark. There's your LSU guy. You got an Arkansas guy, uh, Jamon or John Ridgeway, and uh, and from defensive tackle, and then you finish it off, Devin Harper from Oklahoma State. So overall, how are we feeling about the the class? Where where did it land with you guys? You know the the company line was that they weren't worried about not having an active free agency because the draft was coming around, and you know you and I have already talked about how pressing it kind of has been to, to be good now, especially given the landscape of the conference. Sure. And so I think, you know, this, this is a fine draft. I think all these players have a lot of potential, but this is not the we're focused on the here and now draft. This is not the these guys can all come in right away and be significant contributors to us right now draft. And so um, as far as their roster today relative to a year ago, they're worse. And, and that's, you know, that's not the, the players who were drafted's fault. Um, it's the organization's fault. So that, I think people's overall taste is, is disappointment. Um, you know, it, unle- the, the type of draft I think everyone was hoping for, and, and this goes without saying, was like what the Baltimore Ravens did. The Baltimore Ravens had a draft that you're like, these dudes can all come in right now and help you contend. And that's not the vibe that people have with the Cowboys. Yeah. I mean, it's just God bless the, the Baltimore Ravens, man. I don't know how they, they, how they end up doing it every single year. I thought it was just Ozzie uh, Newsom's magic that this guy would sit there he wouldn't trade up he wouldn't trade back or anything like that he would let the draft come to him and somehow always managed to land the perfect Baltimore Raven uh with his draft picks and they did something like that again this year you know they go out and get that safety from Notre Dame with their first pick and then with the second one uh that safe or that corner or corner center uh out of Iowa uh as well and like you said those are guys that are day one starters those guys are coming into play today and they're going to contribute uh, right away. And, and, it, and it can be frustrating. It's happened with the Bears uh, a few times. You sit there and you look at the, the board and you look at the draft class and you're like, none of these guys are going to see the field this year, or at least not in any kind of significant way. you know. And, and we would get lucky every once in a while or every year at least one fifth-round pick that Ryan Pace chose would, would become something uh, for the Bears. It was kind of a yearly tradition, so we wonder if Ryan Pose is going to be able to pull it off. But... Uh, you know, but but mostly it would be like, yeah, this is this is not a draft where it's like these guys are coming in there. You know, maybe they've got uh, 
uh, you know, low ceilings, but high floors. And like, these guys are ready to play now. Maybe they're not going to be much better at the end of their career than they were at the start, but they're going to come in and play right away. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the plight they're in. And, you know, for all we know, everyone they drafted shows up and, and is immediate, you know, they have a, a 2017 saints kind of draft or, or what we, what we evaluate the Ravens draft to be. And if they do, I mean, by all means, Cowboys, I mean, dunk on us, flash us the middle fingers, like do whatever you want to prove to us that right. you were right and we were wrong. Uh, but, but right now the likelihood of that being the case is extremely small. Right. So everything being what it was, the, the way the season ended, uh, you know, to, to bounce back from 2020 to go 12 and five and win the division to make it to the playoffs, uh, you know, rather easily in, in that division, uh, have the off season that you had not really satisfied with the draft. What's the outlook for 2022 right now? You know, generally speaking, the, the last five times the Cowboys have won the division, which was 2018, 2016, 2014, um, 2009 and 2007, um, the, the MO on them, the following off season has been, they've loaded up, they're back this time. They're coming, you know, this, this, this yeah, they're coming back and they're going to go all the way this time. That is generally the feel. Uh, it is never what it is now, which is this team has regressed. They're terrible. They're so bad, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of that is aided by the division and the conference. And they also have a really great schedule outside of the division. They play the AFC South this year. Yeah. Um, they, I'm, I'm sorry, but they play the, AFC, the NFC North. And so not exactly a, a murderer's row right now. Um, and so this is a team that has not been a playoff team in consecutive seasons since 2006 and 2007. They haven't won double-digit games since 1995 and 1996. Uh, the NFC East has not seen a repeat champion since 2004. Yeah. And none of those things have anything to do with who the 2022 Dallas Cowboys are, but they're fighting all of that, call it history or energy or karma or vibes or whatever, uh, on top of weakening their roster um, on top of being a highly dysfunctional franchise in a lot of senses. And so it's tough to believe. But again, when you look at their schedule, it's difficult to find, you know, eight or nine losses. It truly is. I mean, and most of that is because of Dak Prescott and Micah Parsons. And they're kind of banking on, on being carried by their superstars, banking on Trayvon Diggs, uh, taking the next lead, maybe not having a thousand interceptions, but still being very good. On Dan Quinn, keeping the defense good as a whole. On Kellen Moore, refining himself. C.D. Lamb, becoming a star wide receiver. Zeke Elliott, somehow, someway, returning to uh, you know prominence as an elite running back on the NFL. And maybe one of those things happened. Maybe two of them, or three of them, or half of them. But the likelihood of all of them happening is really low. I think they'll be entertaining, as they always are. I can promise you, you won't do your Christmas shopping with them out of the mix. Uh, but they will disappoint me and fellow Cowboys fans in heartbreaking fashion in a way that we've never seen before uh, at some point, because that's what they do. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I feel your pain, man. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the life of a jaded uh, fan that's, you know, heavily devoted to their squad, but we know ultimately they're going to break our hearts in the end. Uh, it's um, it's not the, it's not the world's greatest existence, man. I'll tell you that much. It's tough. I mean, um, I, I take a little bit of solace in the fact that, Aaron Rodgers has only ever won one Super Bowl. Right. Um, but um, it's, you know, it's tough. I, uh, a, a good friend of ours at Blog on the Boys is Junior Kemsky from the Philly Voice. Um, and he's, you know, he does a series every year why this team will be a dumpster fire or whatever. Sure. He had a note. Uh, he had a note in this year's version about the Cowboys. Um, you know, everyone talks about them not being in an NFC championship game in forever. 
Um, only the commanders and lions have, have gone longer actually w- without appearing in a title game, but the other 13 teams in the conference. So everyone who isn't the commanders or lions has not only been to the NFC championship game, but they've all been there at least twice. Um, and so it's, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, especially the way that, you know, the dynasty was going there. And then basically you go off a cliff as far as being in the conversation in January, uh, kind of thing. It's, it's, uh, it's tough because that's that's how I got into football as a kid. You know, the first team that I followed from start to finish was the '85 Bears, and then we go 14 and two in '86, and then 11 and four in '87, 12 and four in '88, and then six and ten in '89. I'm like, oh, geez, the Bears can lose like that? I had no idea that was even remotely possible. And here, the, you know, and then after that, when when Ditka was gone, now we went from mediocre to bad, and we've kind of been circling that terrain more times than not. Uh, you know, since that in the last 30 years with the start of Wanstatt and then Dick Geron and, and, and all of those other pending disasters. We had that little nice little stretch where we were always competitive under Lovey, but also not successful as far as getting deep into the playoffs and uh, and whatnot. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's tough being a, a fan, especially to teams like ours who are who always going to have a hand in the history uh, of the NFL. The Bears being there from day one, the Cowboys made a lot of history when they joined the league in the 60s uh, and everything, became America's team in the 70s and uh, and whatnot, have been frequent visitors to the Super Bowl and uh, and all that kind of stuff, but not so much in the last 26, 27 years. Yeah, it's, um, it's tough. It's a tough existence sometimes, but um, they come back every fall and, and we'll be right there with them. Real quick, before we dive into the schedule here, um, how did you take to Tony Romo when he was your quarterback? I loved Romo. Um, you know, the, the season he, he first, I mean, he took over midway uh, in 2006. I was a junior in high school. And so, you know, really impressionable age, really important age, sure. formative years. And so um, so he meant a lot to me. Um, and so it was, it was difficult. I'd already started doing this professionally when, when Dak Prescott was drafted. And so... Um, it was difficult to say goodbye to that chapter of my life and, and that chapter of Dallas Cowboys history. Sure. I was actually um, on the announce team that called Tony Romo's last college football game. Wow. Right yeah. on. I uh, went to, Illinois. Uh, yeah, I went to Western Illinois and uh, Romo came to visit my, uh, my Leathernecks in the first round of the 2002 uh, 1AA playoffs. And uh, we sent him home rather unceremoniously. Uh, that 48 to nine being the final score uh, in that one. And I felt like a genius that day because unfortunately we couldn't get our hands on any tape uh, of Eastern Illinois to kind of, you know, when we did our, uh, cause I was a broadcasting major, we did our pregame show and everything. So I only could, you know, like my analysis was based on his stats and Romo won the one double a Heisman that year, the Walter Payton uh, award. And, you know, he threw for, uh, you know, a million yards and all that kind of stuff. But he was Brett Farvish in his stats where he's like, yeah, he threw 30-plus touchdowns, but he also threw 16 interceptions. So that led me to believe that Romo took a lot of chances. Like he, you know, was very confident in his arm, so he thought he could get the ball there, and sometimes he ended up being wrong. But they were 10-2 and coming into that game, so obviously he was, you know, more successful than he wasn't uh, that season uh, and everything. And sure enough... He tried to get away with some things uh, against uh, against our defense, and it cost him dearly. And that was something that stuck with me as far as my analysis of Romo. And I remember 
and I'm sure this is a memory that's going to kill you, but that Giants game in the divisional round in 07. Uh, my buddy calls me up, and I told him, I was like, you wait. Romo's going to throw an interception here. It's going to cost him the game. I just just had this feeling Romo was going to try to get cute and put it in the end zone when he shouldn't have, and he's going to get picked off. And sure enough, he took a shot at the end zone at R.W. McQuarters, picks him off, and that was pretty much the end of the game there. The, you know, the one-seed Cowboys get sent home by the you know five-seed, six-seed uh, Giants uh, in, in an upset where it's like, you know, they were the team. You know, after the Bears won in 06, uh, they were the team that took the NFC away from the Bears, beat them on Sunday Night Football beginning of the season. They were the team of destiny in 07, and to have that early exit uh, and, and, and everything, it's like I just felt like Romo was, was due for it, and sure enough, he nailed it because my buddy called me back and told me I should buy a lottery ticket for how I was predicting things that day. Yeah, I mean, it was um... – it was a tough time uh, 15 years ago now, amazingly. Right. So let's dive into the uh, in the schedule here. Uh, for the second year in a row, you're kicking off the season on national television against the Buccaneers, only this time it's on Sunday Night Football and it's at home. Then you have the Cincinnati Bengals at home, so two home games versus two road games last year to start off the year. Then home for the Giants on Monday night because it's legally mandated that the Cowboys and the Giants play each other on national TV at least once a year, just like it is for the Bears and the Packers. It has to be on some kind of national TV stage. Like any time the Bears play in Lambeau, it's, it's a legal mandate. It has to be on at night on Thursday night, Monday night, or Sunday night. It cannot be a noon uh, kickoff start uh, in Lambeau when the Bears and the Packers play. It's just not allowed. So, but there you go with the Cowboys and the Giants in New York uh, for Monday Night Football and then home for the Commanders, and that's the first quarter of the season. Yeah, I mean, outside of those first two games and, and depending on how, you know, the average person feels about the Bengals, I mean, it, it, again, it speaks to the, the not exactly intimidating nature of this year's Cowboys schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's got a lot of winnable games. I mean, and that's why, you know, some people are still feeling somewhat optimistic about it all. Sure. I mean, and, and it's it is interesting because um, the NFC or the AFC North this year it it really is kind of up in the air because the real question is like and it all hinges on the Bengals it really does because are the Bengals going to continue on the ascension you know to 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 keep you know can Burrow and company uh, maintain or are they going to go back to being the Bengals again? where they're lucky to win five games this year and, you know, and they're, they're back in the top five of the draft and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then, obviously, the drama with what's going on in Cleveland and Deshaun Watson, who's the quarterback going to be out there, and Baker May- Mayfield laughing his way out the door uh, the whole time. Uh, you know, what's the quarterback situation going to be? Is it going to be Mitch? Is it going to be Kenny Pickett? Uh, you know, and then there are the Ravens, who suddenly also – who even after last year seem to be like the most stable team in that division uh, right now. So, but they're, but you know, but they finished the season being a very beatable team. The bears almost beat them or they should have God damn it, but they didn't. So, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a division that doesn't really scare you very much unless the Bengals can be who they were last year. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously a huge question. Um, you know, I think the fact that the Cowboys get them early on before they maybe get their bangs under them again is, is right. a good thing. Obviously they got really hot late last season. 
they do have Lyle Collins, who, who the Cowboys cut this offseason. And so it's an interesting matchup in that sense. But but they are definitely a, a pendulum that can swing things one way or another. Right. And then four more games before the Week 9 bye. Nice right in the middle of the season type bye uh, at the Chargers. So you're going back to out, going back out to L.A. again. Then you have uh, Sunday Night Football at Philly. And then home for the Lions and home for the Bears, which is when we'll talk again uh, leading up to that game in, uh, in late October. Halloween Eve, Bears and Cowboys in uh, – in Dallas. That's always a great time. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun time of year. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Houston Astros fan, so hoping that, you know, they're they're well in the mix in the World Series right around then. Um, but, um, you know, the State Fair is usually going on around then, and college football is really peaking. It's, it's a great, you know, great time of year. And so, um, I mean, I say this respectfully. I'm happy the Cowboys have the, the Bears and Lions in back-to-back weeks, um, <laughs> you know, to, to, set, to hopefully set themselves up. Uh, but I mean, I do think that one of those games will be this year's version of last year's Broncos game. I mean, every team that, that is somewhat good generally loses one. They're not supposed to. And I think right. it could be one of those for, for Dallas this year. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, this is the 11th of these previews that I've done, uh, so far and pretty much in, in, in all 11, all of my guests are kind of tiptoeing about how, how to talk about, uh, the bears. And here's the thing. I don't really know who we have or as far as like, and I know who we have, but I don't know who we are right now. It's like, not only do we have a new coaching staff with a new regime, it's going to bring in a new offense. We're going back to the four, three, but Ryan Poles also completely overhauled the roster. No more Allen Robinson, no uh, Khalil Mack and, you know, among others uh, and everything signed a bunch of guys on one year, uh, prove it deals and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Will any of this, work out and or are we just treading water until 2023 when we have you know like 100 million in cap space and a full slate of draft picks and all that kind of stuff as a coast as opposed to the you know bare cupboard that ryan pace uh you know left around so you know we're going to have like a, a reshuffled uh offensive line year two under Justin Fields, who's learning a brand new offense along with everybody else, We're, you know, a brand new defensive alignment and all that kind of stuff. We still might trade Robert Quinn at some point and, and everything. So it's like trying to predict how this season is going to go could be all across the board. You know, we could be the team that analysts seem to be like, it, like they have a hard on right now for the fact the Bears are going to be a top or, a, you know, a bottom five team. Like some predicting they're going to have the number one pick next year and are the number two pick or, or, or whatever, or, or, and what have you. And, or maybe we can have another Matt Nagy debut where we go 12 and five and we're in the playoffs and, uh, and all that kind of stuff next year. Any one of those things could happen. So it's just like when you're saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the bears coming to town. We can beat the bears. It's like you probably can, or at least, I don't know. I have no idea right now. Based on 2021, yeah, we weren't a very good football team. Your team in 2021 could have definitely beat ours. And I don't really know what we have in 2022. So that's kind of like the fun, the misery, the mystery of it all going into this season is like, I'm not sure what the Bears are bringing to the table. And, uh, you know, but I can't wait for it to get started so we can find out. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Matt Eberflus fan, big Justin Fields fan big Robert Quinn fan. I mean, I, I love the bears kind of historically. My dog's name is bear. I mean, I just, I, I, I would love so much for the bears to be good. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping it happens except for that one week. Well, you know, I'm, I've, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm somewhat of an amateur, uh, you know, league, uh, historian, 
uh, and everything. When I was a kid, I was all about football, so I didn't just read about the Bears. And we had this um, silent reading period in elementary school. And so we got to go into the library and pick a bu- pick out a bunch of books. I would pick like the team history of any team I could get my hands on, you know, the Steelers, the Buccaneers, the Rams, you know, learning about these, uh, these teams and their histories. And, you know, imagine me at, 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 you know, nine years old reading about the Buccaneers who were a laughing stock for most of their existence in the NFL and reading about the 1979 and 1980 season when they won the division and almost went to the Super Bowl. I'm like, what? The Buccaneers actually won football games? That's insane. You know, but that's where I read about the Steel Curtain and the four Super Bowls in, in six seasons and learning about the, uh, you know, the Steel Curtain and, and Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris and the Italian Army and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, been telling, like last year when we played the NFC or the AFC North, talking uh, to my Cleveland Browns guests, is like I would just love for the Browns to actually be good because that's how I grew up watching Cleveland. I grew up, I was seven, eight years old watching the Browns play the Broncos in those classic AFC championship games uh, and things like that. When I was growing up, the Raiders were a good team. They weren't the laughing stock of the NFL picking in the top five uh, of the draft every year. So I'm kind of nostalgic to see those things uh, happen again. So when the, when the Bears are good, it just seems like the NFL is better when the Bears are, are winning, not just for Bear fans, but for the NFL, because that is one of the more beloved franchises out there along with the Cowboys and the Steelers and, and teams like that that have these rich histories. So it's always good when the Bears are winning. No, I think that's well said. Um, they're one of the, the NFL's Tiffany franchises, and so I hope that better days are ahead. Amen. So second half of the season, uh, starting out, wow, you play the entire division four weeks in a row. Look at that. Home for the Lions, home for the Bears, bye week at Green Bay, at Minnesota uh, to kick off the uh, second half of the year. Uh I, I saw that once in, in – uh, I forget who it was now, but one of the teams that we previewed, I think it was the Jets, play the entire AFC North to start the year. They play mm-hmm. all four teams in a row to start the season. I was like, that's, that's weird. I mean, I've seen that before. Like, here we are. We're seeing it with your schedule. The Bears have had to do it a few times. Like, when we played the AFC West four weeks in a row uh, at one point, we played the AFC East in 2018 four weeks uh, in a row. But – you know, it's like every once in a while, the NFL will just throw it out there. Be like, yeah, they're playing the NFC North, right? Yeah, weeks eight through 12. There you go. Done. That's how it's going to go down. So two games at home with the Bears and the Lions and then a bye week home for the Packers and uh, or at the Green Bay and at, uh, at Minnesota. And then, of course, the annual Thanksgiving game home for the Giants this time at uh, not doing the Thursday, Thursday thing. The Cowboys usually get uh, wrangled into that. So they're going Thursday Thanksgiving against the Giants and then home for the uh, Colts on Sunday night football. So you actually get a break this year instead of doing the Thursday, Thursday thing. Yeah. um, You know, in there is Mike McCarthy's return to Green Bay. Obviously excited about that. Uh, McCarthy versus Rodgers, but definitely interesting. There there have been a few times where Dallas hasn't played on the Thursday after Thanksgiving in recent memory, but generally they've played on a Saturday night game um, to, to kind of make up for that. This year they don't have that. This year they have a second Thursday night game, um, although that one is coming off of a uh, Christmas Eve game against the Eagles, which is on a Saturday. So uh, a little bit of a unique schedule quirk this year. Right. It's then uh, home for the Texans at Jacksonville, home for the Eagles. Then there's there your Thursday nighter at Tennessee before finishing at home or on the road with the uh, Commanders, which is still taking some getting used to. Um, 
So how are we feeling about the, the back half of the schedule there? I mean, it, it's, it's friendly. I mean, I would argue after that, you know, after that Packers game, which is, you know, mid-November, I mean, like, it, it's tough to find a game that you're going to lose sleep over. I mean, obviously, playing Philly is never an easy thing. But that Packers game is like the coldest game that they have on their season. I mean, I guess Tennessee, if you count that. But, I mean, if you have to have a super cold game, you know, obviously you want it to be against the, the opposite conference. But um, it it lines up well. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, they get to play the AFC South four times in five games. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that they will just completely and totally collapse. But, again, they, they seem to always find ways. And it's the NFC East, as we've mentioned before, and, and trust me, this is the fourth of the NFC East shows that I've done. Every single one of them has mentioned about how there hasn't been a repeat champion in almost 20 years now. So anything could happen as far as the the history of this division since the uh, realignment uh, has uh, has gone. You know, the Eagles won the division in 03 and 04, and ever since there's been a new champion every single year uh, since then, including the Cowboys, you know, spreading it out over the, the last uh, 10, 15 years or so. Yeah, I mean, I I have a hard time seeing them be this successful year in and year out. I mean, they just haven't done it. And so um, if there's a challenger, you would think it's the Eagles, maybe the Giants, you know, maybe Brian Dable has the right impact on Daniel Jones. You just never know. Um, but it really is difficult to, to see anybody but the Cowboys winning it, which is why it's so weird. Yeah. I know how you feel. And it, it was um, like going into last season, um, didn't really th- thought that the commanders would be able to build on what they did in 2020. They got off to that super slow start, but then again, so did everybody else uh, in the division uh, in 2020. But but finished strong, seemed to be the only team in the playoffs that gave the Buccaneers a game uh, in, in their playoff run to the Super Bowl in 2020. And, you know, had everybody coming back, had this young, strong defense. If they could just figure out the quarterback position, they might actually be able to put something together. And then, you know, they had the season that they had and, you know, finished 7-10 and 10 or, you know, whatever it was for them uh, last year. So, but it's just like they fell victim to the fact that nobody wins this division two years in a row, or at least nobody hasn't since 2004. Again, it's... It's very interesting. Um, it's it promises to be dramatic and it promises to be thrilling, which is kind of classic for Dallas Cowboys football. So, what are you looking at with the with the team? You know, not exactly asking for win loss, but like ballpark. What where do you think? Because because you mentioned before, looking at the schedule, you're you're having a hard time seeing like a nine and eight season with everything they have in front of them. You know, where do you think the Cowboys are going to land? I think they're somewhere between nine and ten wins. I mean, I think that they'll they'll have some wins that they shouldn't already win. They might go to Lambeau. They might beat Tampa in Week One, and then they'll they'll have a frustrating loss to whether it's the Bears or the Lions or maybe the Jaguars or something that's difficult to explain. Um, <laughs> they'll be they'll be entertaining. They'll be fun. They'll be dramatic. Uh, they'll be full of storylines. They'll be fantasy relevant. I mean, they'll they'll check off their standard boxes, and then you know maybe they get hot if they're in the playoffs. That feels unlikely, but. All told, it, it does kind of feel like a season that's going to be filled with its usual ups and downs, and whether or not they decide to make a move on McCarthy after that remains to be seen. Right. That was going to be my next question, is like, what's it going to take for, I mean, is is a playoff run going to be good enough for McCarthy to stick around? Because, I mean, he was practically halfway out the door after one season in 2020, and then after the way, you know, the season went, 12-5, and five, you win the division, 
but you have this kind of embarrassing finish to to the to the law to the you know wild card round, and you lose that game. And I'm sure there's no, not a lot of love for Mike McCarthy after that. I mean, is will that you think maybe dictate that you know if things don't go perfectly that now McCarthy might be on his way out, especially with Sean Payton hanging out out there. Yeah, and I think that, that that's what changes the calculus more than, than any other year is that, you know, the Cowboys have always had eyes for Sean Payton, obviously a, a fellow Eastern Illinois alum. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's never been obtainable for them, you know, or never practically obtainable at least. And they, you know, they, they don't have the same sense of loyalty to McCarthy that they did to Jason Garrett, who was like a, a chosen son of the organization and whatnot. And so, um, I mean, short of... I mean, you know, I don't think anybody would celebrate the Cowboys losing the NFC Championship game, but but making it there would would be significant. Again, that's that's sad to say, and you know, whatever, you know, people talk about standards and whatnot. But if they did something that they haven't done since you know 1995, I think you would have to attribute an enormous amount of credit to Mike McCarthy for that. I think. Sure. You know, he, he would deserve that, but I don't know that the temptation to fast forward with Sean Payton wouldn't outweigh uh, whatever other pro that they would feel Sean Payton brought to them. And the thing about it is, is you know, Sean Payton is not just this, like, you know, Indiana Jones idol swap of a coach. It is going to cost some sort of draft compensation to acquire Sean Payton. And, you know, we don't know what that is. I, I don't know that they're going to be as... Uh, as as malleable as as the Arizona Cardinals were, letting Bruce Arians effectively walk for nothing. But I mean, I I, I don't envision that. And so, if they set themselves back to to move coaches, it I don't think it's hard to convince someone that Mike McCarthy is as good of a coach as Sean Payton, despite the fact that their career resumes are very similar. Um, but it it is very fascinating. I, I'm truly not trying to ride the fence. I have no idea. I mean, even in the Jason Garrett days, we, we had an idea. We had an idea that it was time to go. It's so difficult to figure out which direction they're going to lean in here. So with the, with the, the way that this offseason went uh, and everything, was it – do you feel like the Cowboys maybe, like kind of like the Bears, are, are building up to, to make moves in 2023? Or, or are they also going to be, you know, maybe have some salary cap issues going into the next year or two? Uh, as well, I mean, it, it's it's possible that they really believe that Sean Payton and his influence can can take them where they need to go in 2023. But I mean, they, you know, they have to they have to get through this season first. And are they just going to fast forward a year of contracts and whatnot? I mean, this time <laughs> next year, you know, C.D. Lamb and Trayvon Diggs are eligible for contract extensions. One year after that, Micah Parsons will be eligible for a contract extension. It, it never ends. And so I don't know that they are prepared for that amount of work. And so I think it's – it's I don't know any team that you could confidently say they are 100% going to be better next year than they are this year. I know a lot of teams have a lot of draft capital, um, but it's still – it's so difficult. The NFL is such a year-to-year and week-to-week league that that's dangerous to trust. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, even having these conversations, uh, you're looking at things through the lens of last season. And as we've learned painfully in some cases – year after year, no two years are alike. You know, no, no right. two seasons have the, the exact same finishers and that they had the year before. Everybody else finished in the same spot and blah, blah, blah. You may have a handful of teams that always seem to be uh, in the mix and everything, but there's always, as they say, five or six new teams in the playoffs every single year. So, 
you know, no, no two seasons are alike. No two teams, no two seasons are the same. No two teams are the same as they were the year before. Everything is always uh, different. So trying to uh, predict that would uh, <laughs> can be futile sometimes because sometimes you can be close and other times it's laughable how wrong you were. That's the way life goes in the NFL. Amen to that. So, RJ, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show, helping us preview uh, this, uh, you know, this the, the Cowboys team. Um, very interested to see how the season shakes out, as I'm sure you are uh, as well, with with everything that went down last year and 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 what uh, what they did and did not do during the off season to see how it all shakes out. And and you know, and as we talked about, this kind of diminished NFC because it seems like a lot of talent went over to the other side uh, of the fence in the AFC. So it's going to be a dogfight over there. Uh, in the NFC, it's just going to be it's going to be a very top heavy conference, I feel, but also a, a conference where just about anybody can make a move if they if they can put it together. It's it's really exciting and it's really intriguing and, and we're certainly looking forward to it and, and certainly interested to see, you know, who's gonna be right here, the Cowboys or everybody else. So right. um, it's gonna be a fun ride. All right. Well we look forward to having you back on the week of week number eight, uh, as we head into our October 30th matchup in Dallas against the uh, Cowboys uh, here. Uh, where can we keep up, uh, keep up with you uh, in the meantime? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at RJ Ochoa, and those are just kind of hubs to everything I do. Obviously, blogging the boys, you can search anywhere, our website, our YouTube channel, our podcast network. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're not going anywhere. We're excited for training camp and excited to get this thing started. Amen to that. RJ Ochoa, thanks so much uh, for, uh, for helping us out. We look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. I want to thank my guest RJ Ochoa for uh, coming on the show to help us preview the 2022 Dallas Cowboys. And uh, we look forward to talking to him again in preparation of our matchup week number eight in Dallas. Uh, so the Bears travel out to the Jerry Dome. Uh, and as you guys know, Bear fans uh, travel exceptionally well. And um, the last couple of trips down to Dallas, um, I think 2016 was, it's been a while since we've been down there. Um, 2016, I think, was the last time that we went. Yeah, because... Um, 2019 was uh, the Thursday nighter in Chicago. So, yeah, 2022, that makes sense. It's three years in between uh, matchups. So, you know, but uh, in 2016, and I, I remember, I think it was 2012, we played a Monday night game against the Cowboys. Uh, that was uh, basically like a Bears crowd by the end of that game because I – Remember in particular, like Romo threw a couple interceptions. Uh, Briggs had a pick six. I think Tillman had one too. And, uh, you know, Cowboys fans started to abandon ship there for a while, and Bear fans just got close to the field. And it was pretty much a uh, soldier field south uh, by the end of that matchup when the Bears uh, famously took the Cowboys to the woodshed that day. But um, we'll see how the, uh, see how the, the crowd is. Uh, for that particular matchup on Halloween Eve, October 30th in Dallas uh, against the Cowboys week number eight. So we look forward to having uh, RJ back on the show then. 
to help us preview that matchup. And, guys, that'll do it. That will close the book on the NFC East. We now move into the home division. And next Tuesday, we will have our good friend from Pride of Detroit, Jeremy Reisman, on the show to preview the 2022 Detroit Lions. You know, did they do enough during the offseason and, uh, you know, in the draft to to improve upon their football team? Can they make a move, uh, you know, especially with, you know, the Vikings and the Bears having brand new head coaches with the Packers seemingly being weaker than they were a year before with no Devontae Adams, no Zadarius uh, Smith uh, and things like that. You know, could this be a year that the the Lions finally make a move in, in year number two of their of their new head coach and general manager uh, and everything? We'll have to wait and see. But uh, we we love having Jeremy uh, on the show. We look forward to talking to him because we have the Lions. We don't see the Lions until week ten, and then we have them again week seventeen uh, to you know basically wrap up the season. It's at Detroit, home for Minnesota, the last two weeks of the of the season. So, you know, we'll see how it all uh, cranks out. I think we were done with Detroit around that time last year, but instead, uh, you know, last year was week four and then it was Thanksgiving week 12. This year we don't see him until week 10 and then not again until week 17. So, but we'll talk to Jeremy about all of that and about being the hard knocks team this year, or at least the hard knocks training camp team, because now they do the in season Hard knocks, and that's going to be the uh, Arizona Cardinals. And I think we've already talked about why that's going to be interesting or why it could be. So, uh, but we'll talk to Jeremy about the offseason, uh, get his thoughts on, uh, on Dan Campbell year two that we're going into, the draft and, and, and everything else, and also, you know, his thoughts on being the hard knocks team this year. So uh, come on back on Tuesday, and then next Thursday, we'll have Chris Gates to help us preview the Vikings. And then the following Tuesday, Evan Western back to uh, talk to us about the Green Bay Packers. And then Thursday, have Lauren back to talk about the Bears as we put a bow on the opponent preview series for 2022. So come on back next Tuesday for myself and Jeremy Reisman previewing the 2022 Detroit Lions. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.